inside the recording studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? Are you feeling sunny um, and warm? Yes, I am. Good for you. Uh, yeah. No, it's uh, it's a nice day here in uh, sunny Southern California. And, Lovely. Uh, Lovely. Yeah. No, I'm feeling good. How about yourself? Sweet. I'm feeling like a whole new man. Yeah? Yes. Sure. <laughs> well, as, as you can see, I have uh, no hat on today. And in addition to that, I've got custom-made jeans adorning my lower half, which is never actually seen on the broadcast of the podcast. So, um, yes. Very, feeling but you're like feeling good about I'm, yourself is what you're saying. Yes, of course. Good. Good. So Awesome. Yeah. It's always good yeah. to feel about yourself. Absolutely. I didn't say that feel right, but... We'll, we'll roll with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're treading lightly here early on, so yeah. Of course. Um, no, it's cool. Have you had an interesting week? Yes and no. Okay. And I don't know right. if it's necessarily something we need to delve in too much, but yeah. Then let's not. Right. Yeah. Uh, actually, I did text you yesterday to ask you a question of, have you ever gone back on something you've written and realized that yeah it's clever but it was also extremely hard to pull off and you did say yes <laughs> yeah well but now that you um now that you bring that up um i am reminded of a situation that was actually the first band that i was in mm. and we're talking you know mid teens here yeah mm. and um me and the other guitar players it was two guitar players um, were you in we Hammerfall? Were... No, no. But I, I used to room with a guy that was in Hammerfall. Yeah, one of my, my good friends, Stefan. Nice. Um, yeah. But um, we were the primary songwriters. And as young guitar players do, um, our goal was to write stuff that the other guitar player was not able to play. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's what I'm talking about right there. Yeah, so, um, it, it, I mean, terribly immature, but it did raise at least my my playing game. So that was because he would he had, you know, weaknesses that I didn't and, and vice versa, right? Sweet. So, oh, shit, I really need to work on this. So I guess that's the closest I've come to that. But, okay. but uh, you tended to write a little bit more of the... The prog year oh, stuff. Oh, good then. God, did I ever. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. And, you know, uh, and going through right now, transcribing this stuff to make available uh, on social media and whatnot, it, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm questioning <laughs> why did I do this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, no, I, I can, you know, I've, I've, I've had the, the, the experience where I've, I've had writing sections, I was, like all of us do, right? We have ideas of, of, you know, samples of songs and things like that. We we started at one point and I've tried to revisit and go back and go, and I figured, how the hell did I play that? You know, and you find yourself in the weird situation where you're sitting there transcribing something that you wrote, not in the too distant past, right? Yes. It's, a, it's an <laughs> odd feeling, you know? Um, well, and, and- But yeah. I, as as I mentioned, I'm doing that, and I'm finding that it's actually coming back to me, and that's probably just from the sheer amount of practice that I put into 
writing the stuff and being able to play it without looking at my hands while performing. Yeah. And it's yeah. the kind of stuff that most people would be like, damn, I wouldn't be able to look away from my hands if I was doing this. And it's like, yeah, but I wanted to be able to connect to the audience. So I practiced this shit incessantly. So, yeah, but you know, trying to yeah, transcribe some of the stuff is just like, what the hell was I thinking? Cause to, to, talk about it theoretically it's like whoa this is just awful you know because it, it yeah. makes it complicated and it's yeah nuts and it's like but and it takes the transcription time level from maybe only taking an hour or so to taking four to five hours on a single song so yeah but yeah. but there was one key word that you said in 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 all of that in not too long ago, you said something about sample and that's what our today's topic is pretty much about not sampling songs, but sample rates. So why don't yes. we switch gears and get right into that now that we've wasted several minutes of people's times? Yeah. No, <laughs> sample rates is um, one of those things that um, can be perhaps a little bit confusing what you should be using and everything when you're starting out. And I would venture to say, and we'll go into this a little bit more later on, that it's a little bit dependent on what it is that you're doing. But I suppose we should first talk about what is a sample rate. So or, and, and define it for doing. us, will ya? Well, it is essentially a measurement of taking incoming audio and digitizing it. Mm -hmm. And it does this by taking, well, as we're doing the entire audio spectrum as based on human hearing, which is 20 hertz to 20K, Nobody really hears 20K, but that's besides the point. That's that's what we've, we're going with. And, and and by 20 hertz, you're probably more or less feeling it more than you are hearing yeah. it so much. But yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, good luck dealing with those subsonics there in your room as well, right? But, mm -hmm. um, but so we're taking a or two measurements, a positive and a negative per each wave i suppose um each and we're slice going up of sound each each slice of sound a positive and negative get a measurement and that would equal up to forty thousand. you know if we are, if we're recording up to 20k that would be forty thousand samples okay why is um, that well because 20 times 2 is 40. Yeah, but you, um, you didn't actually define any of that. I know that we were briefly talking about it before we hit record mm -hmm. right now, but you didn't mention the reasoning behind that as you're explaining oh, it now. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Let, let me try to explain th this a little bit better. Um, we, are, we are taking, let's say, let's think of it as snapshots mm -hmm. in the span of a second. And in the span of that second, we are going to have X amount of snapshots, which equal our sample rate. Right. So if, if we take the first, you know, the, the lowest that we tend to have, like this sort of like what they have on CDs and things, is 44.1. Which equals 44,100 samples per second. But the key there thing that I was hoping that you would key on to mm -hmm. that you mentioned earlier is, is what is, is the, known is as the, Nyquist theorem. The Nyquist theorem. Yes. Yeah. So, and that, that's the, the highest frequency we can record is half of the sample rate. So the question that comes up then is like, well, why don't we just have a sample rate of 40, like 40 K? Why is 40, it 44? Yeah. 
40,000. Yeah. I, I suppose I should stop saying K and saying <laughs> 40,000. Well, you said 40, uh, and that would be like, well, that's a, not very many samples per second right there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yeah, but it has to do with um, we are using, or we are, the uh, the converters that are they're doing this for us is adding a a filter on the top end of the spectrum. Yes. And to compensate for possible rounding errors and things of that nature in the higher end, the sound or the frequency rate is extended up to 22.05 to accommodate for that. And that's how we end up twice of that becomes 44. Right. And that's right. just for everybody out there. That means there's a lot of complicated math going on behind the scenes. Yes. A, a lot, right? <laughs> um, so, so, but, but that—that's basically what a sample rate. We're taking these incredible amounts of snapshots of the audio coming in, right. and uh, at the rate that that happens, I suppose you can look at that's the sample rate, right? And so, the number of samples per second for most things, especially in the era of CDs when digital first came onto the scene, it was forty-four thousand one hundred samples per second. And as you were yeah. stating a little bit earlier, there is a positive side and a negative side, which means you've got a line that's zero in the middle and you've got a plus on one side and a negative on the going down on the other side to take a complete yeah. picture of what's happening at any microsecond that's happening in the sound. Now, you also mentioned mm -hmm. that early converters had filters. Yeah. And I know that on a previous podcast episode of ours, and I can't remember right off the top of my head, but I do remember talking about it. We did discuss the early converters of the ADAT system. Yeah. yeah which yeah, yeah. was highly popular as an early digital recording system. The funny thing is, is that if you owned one of these, or maybe you still do, uh, you could put your audio that you recorded on a spectrometer and you would see that there would be nothing above 16K. Literally yep. a gigantic cliff. You'd have sound and audio going up to 16K and then poof, nothing further beyond that. Their converters were actually really cheap by the era's standard. Mm -hmm. And so to hide that cheapness, they... They cut it off pretty low, so to speak. Yeah. But yeah, no, by no, that, today's standards, we don't have that issue anymore. Right. But I think that the, by doing that, uh, they made um, – so like they make, made the ADAT cost-effective. Like people oh, could actually afford them and do that kind yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah. So, but, but it is important to remember just how much better these converters are, are today. Oh, you know, yeah. where – so – um, yeah, we've all had crappy interfaces in the past. Where <laughs> well, not you know, so much uh, anymore. I mean, if you're getting into the game now, no, you don't anymore. have that problem. Well, you don't have as much of a problem, I should say. I'm sure that there are still companies using not so good converters. And maybe if you put them on a spectrometer and you ran a sine wave through it, you could find out where it is actually cutting off the or filtering off the signal, so to speak. But it was heavily prevalent early on in the yeah. digital revolution, so to speak. So yeah. yeah. Limitation of technology. So yeah. But we've um, we've we've moved beyond that now. 
Absolutely. We certainly have. So, so maybe we should mention just the, the most common um, sample rates that we use. We mentioned 44.1. Yes. And the reason for uh, that one was strictly because that's what CDs were manufactured to be at. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and, you know, again, presumably because of the limitation at the time. But, but yep. yeah, any CD that you still buy today is 44.1. Um, but do you remember and, the SACD? And DSD? No, no. Okay. I don't know if I want to jump too far into that, but the SACD was a, a high resolution CD and mm -hmm. had a higher sample rate. And DSD, which was, I think, digital streaming something or other by Sony, was even weirder because I think the sample rate was lower, but the amount of what it did in the amount of same time was actually more than 44.1 and so it was supposed to sound better but of course like the whole vhs versus betamax thing which is the precursor to streaming and dvds that fight was won by the lesser quality uh yeah it, it's almost video. one of those like first to market that that grabs on that that's the you or know, whoever's more ruthless in business. <laughs> or, or that, yeah. But but stepping up from 44.1, mm -hmm. uh, we have 48. 48,000 samples. Which is what I tend to use most yep. of the time, if you care to know that. Uh, we go up, and now we have 88.2, which is, of course, twice 44.1. Which should make it twice Listen. as good, right? Definitely. Right. Well, no. That's well, that's, you know, it, I... I don't come across many people today that use that sample rate. I've I think that, never you know, even heard it's of there. people using it. I know it's there. I've just never heard of anyone actually using that one. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, I, I would say that, you know, the big one is coming up after that. That would be 96K. Right? Yes. Twice of 48. Um, there is a sample rate of 176.4, which is, again, three times. Oh, no, no. You know. <laughs> Four times. It's double the 88. So yeah, it's four times it, it, the 44.1, not three times, four. Right. Did I say three times? Yes. You okay, did. no, it's four times. Yeah, yeah. You're no, correct I'm sorry. <laughs> I was thinking of the, the Swedish four. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah. I'm not familiar with Swedish four yet. <laughs> no, that's that's just the excuse you use when you say something stupid. <laughs> okay. um, and then, of course, 192. Right, which um, is double 96 and four times 48. There you go. So, But I would say the, the big three as it were the most common i would say but 44.1 48 and 96 yes um so th why would you choose one ones, over no? the other that's the first question i'd ask yeah um the way i got well when i started out my, my systems couldn't handle really anything more than 44.1. Yes. So that, that was sort of like the de facto thing, right? You, you work with the best that you have. There is a trade-off, um, more processing power, less of an issue, but disk space, you know, being less of an issue with that. But but um, I, when I started doing things for, things that were geared for video or library stuff, that kind of thing, that, that they wanted 48. Yes. You know? Um, There's a good reason so, for that. Yeah. Because All the video editors use, actually use 48K, 48,000 yeah. sample rate as the de facto standard of video editing. Who knows why? They just did it that way. Right. Right. And just like, you know, CDs were 
at 44.1, that, that's just one of those things. That's the factory standard. So you end up using 48K. Yep. Um, so, so that's how I ended up with that. I know that you are a fan of working in 96 whenever you can. Yes, that I am. So wh what's your reasoning for that? Well, it goes back you're to cool that. cool like that? that? <laughs> <laughs> it has more to do with that, uh, that old statement of more is more and more is better, right? Uh, right. Part of it is, is that I've been fortunate to generally have very capable machines in my uh, arsenal. Mm -hmm. So early on when 96 was more like a what 192 might be today, I had a machine that could do 96K. I had an audio interface that was capable of doing it. And I decided to just try it out and play something that was recorded at 44.1 and also at 96K because it was before I jumped into the whole 48K thing as well. So gotcha. like you doing a bunch of stuff for production work, you do it at the sample rate that it's required in and then you don't have to do any conversion. You just do your stuff and you mix and you go and you deliver it in the same sample rate they want. So, yeah. but with 96K and I generally tend to do 96K only with artists whether it's my own artist material or I'm producing another artist and it's meant for something that's going out into the world that is also to my, uh, what would, my desire to want to forward proof, future proof type gotcha. thing. Yeah. And yeah. so the more is more thing kept kind of going through my head and I, I would have multiple people telling me, dude, you don't, don't do that at 96 K you, your computer's not going to be able to handle it. You're not going to be able to do this. But as you said, your machine can only handle so much depending back in the day. And at 44.1, if you had a lesser machine, you were freezing tracks. So at 96 K yeah. I was already used to kind of, if I needed to, freezing tracks. Unfortunately, my machine didn't have to do that all the time because I had had a fairly capable machine and it was before I got really ridiculous into super complex mixes. But uh, I, I would try it out. And then I ended up recording an entire album at 96K. And I remember one person very much in particular was like, don't do that. That's just not a good idea. <laughs> and of course, the interesting thing is, is I chose him to master that album. And the interesting thing that happened is that I did have one holdover track that I had recorded prior to making the decision to record the rest of the album at 96K. And then I had the one track that was recorded at, I, I want to say it was recorded at 44.1, but without digging back into the archives and pulling out the files, I really don't know. So he goes to master it mm -hmm. and he after giving me all that grief and all that garbage about don't do it, don't do it. You're just setting yourself up for disappointment. It's not worth it. It's not going to make any difference in the middle of mastering the record. He contacts me and says, I was wrong. I can hear <laughs> the difference between the track that wasn't recorded at 96 K and the rest that were. So I also, because I was experimenting and going back and forth, I could hear that difference. It's, it's subtle, but it's there. It's the same 
concept that they had uh, at one point. I remember there was like a tape test, and I think it was with Maxell tape or something like that. And they wanted to do an A-B against is it real on a tape or is it an MP3? And they would do the side-by-side. And most people, they were getting it right and wrong at 50%, which means they couldn't hear the difference. Right. But I remember taking that test and I nailed it like 99%. And if you knew what to listen for in the audio that was being played back for you, you could tell the difference between what was one format and what was another in terms of an MP3 compared to even just say a cassette tape. Yeah. So for whatever reason with 96 K it started, I could actually like feel a bit more depth in what was going on. And this is when 16 bit and 24 bit were fighting it out. Now you're fighting it out with like 24 bit 32 or even possibly 64 bit. If I think there's some companies doing that now. The bit depth makes, I think, a much bigger difference in terms of the smoothness of the tail of the sound. But the amount of clarity and depth that you get in the the bigness of the sound comes from the sample rate, I think. Yeah. So it kind of works as as a twofold thing. And I know we're just talking about sample rate today. So I started working primarily like I said, with artist material for 96K. And the biggest reason for that was future-proofing the audio because if you ever wanted to pull it back out and do a remix or whatever, obviously in the future, sample rates are going to go up because the technology is getting better and the computers are getting faster and stronger. So I just, that was the biggest thing is I wanted to future-proof the ability to come back and, and revisit something. Right. Well, so so you heard a difference there, and you felt that 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 it gave something to music that that your computer could handle. So then there yes. was no drawback for you doing that. Right. But you you said something in there. You said um, sample rates are going to go up. I think so. Well, well, I'm not sure I agree with that because okay. I think, and, and the reason for that is because the human hearing limit is not going to change. Well, yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, okay. But no, I know. But, but, but here's my argument for it. Um, I mean, it, it might, not the human hearing, but, but, <laughs> but the sample rate. Um, but what I think is more likely to, to happen is that the converters are going to continue to get better. Right. So there will be less and less artifacts. So I think that there's probably not going to be an, any actual need to go beyond 192 or even 96. Well, maybe not. Depending on what... So, I mean... But even are, now, 192 I, is difficult to kind of work with. I I, I have, yeah. you know, a very, very capable machine and very capable audio interfaces, but when I try out 192 now, yeah. it, it it's the kind of thing where three or four tracks of that, and it's bringing my setup to its knees. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, it's a huge sample rate. And so... I'm I'm just now playing around with it because of some stuff that I'm recording and I did a comparison 96k to the 192 and it again it's a subtle difference but yeah. it's it's one of those subtle differences where it's like yeah that makes a difference enough that I want to do this and I'm I'm literally doing like a guitar and vocal kind of thing for this recording setup that I'm testing it out with and and that's the only reason why because I know I'm not going to need a lot of tracks to do it yeah. And I think um 
that is something to consider as well um, when choosing the sample rate. I would say, you know, if you if you're not really comfortable with, with this or, or you, depending on what you're doing, musical style, I would say stick to 48 and you, you're good right there in the middle. Sure. Now, should, should you go over? Well, that, that's just a personal thing, right? And I yes. also think that it depends a little bit also on what type of music that you're doing, that you're well, performing and writing. And yes, and that can make an actual big difference. I, I agree with you on that statement. Yeah, so I would say that generally the more sparse your music and full of detail that you're going to have, um, the better off you are with a higher sample rate. And what I mean by that is if you're recording, let's say, a, a quartet of, of classical string players, you're going to have a dynamic range and you're going to have such detail that you might be more likely to hear differences up in the air and all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, if you're doing like a just hard-hitting, slamming industrial rock track, <laughs> you probably don't need to do that in True. 192, you know, because the, it's oh, yeah. not about those subtleties, right? It's mm -hmm. just slamming. So um, less of a benefit there. And, you you, you know. Yeah, I think uh, sample rates are kind of program dependent upon the number of instrumentations that you have and, and obviously the power of the machine, too. And, right. and I agree that when you're starting to work with like dense, dense situations with tons of instruments and uh and loud distortion and other things like that, you don't need to go any, I'd actually say you wouldn't really need to go on beyond 48,000, 48 K. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, that being said, if you have a system where you're, you know, you're powerful enough that you can comfortably run 96 K, there's no drawback to that. You're just going to have to downsample it to, um, whatever, outlet that that's being directed to so. yes 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 all right so um last thing aside to before we maybe do a little word for our sponsors here is, is mm -hmm. with with a higher sample rate as well um and, and this is an analogy that i've heard used before um with if we imagine like it's it's a little bit apples and oranges, but it's a similar principle. When we're working with um, digital images, mm -hmm. the more pixels that we have to work with, on, we generally get a better result in the end. Sure. Right. Uh, even though it might get downsampled, I would say the same thing could be true for sample rates. You know, even though it's yes. not an accurate description, but but there, like you said, more is more. You have more information to work with, and um, some plugin manufacturers also claim that their plugins work better. And users have said too, they sound better or they perform better at higher sample rates, such as like ninety six k. Yes. Now well, I can't confirm that. I haven't heard that myself, um, but. Um, well, there's a few there's it's a few manufacturers of plugins that actually state this kind of thing, and Melodyne being one of them, and UA actually has a tendency to do this as well. They will upsample 
their math, I guess is the best way to say it. They upsample their math to work at a higher sample rate and then re-downsample it when it comes back out. And of course, all this is going on in an instantaneous fashion with the speed of the yeah. technology, but yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, it's the same thing with all the the slate stuff. There's there's an oversampling option for for the processing of the, and uh, I wonder if um, this is something that is more beneficial to analog emulation type of stuff where there's a lot of math going on in the background. I'm not sure, um, but it's just a speculation. But it's it, it's interesting. But um, yeah, that, that's another point to consider, I suppose. But of course. And with that, we yeah. will take a quick word from our sponsors. All right, and we're back. We're looking at the drawbacks of having higher sample rates, Chris. Yeah. Well, the big one is what we mentioned already. It can really, really tax your system. Mm -hmm. Now, I think 44.1 to 48, probably less so. Mm -hmm. But there is a big jump going up to 96 and certainly up to 192. Yes. Um, storage is less of an issue these days. Mm. Do you remember the days the of 40 gig hard drives? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I have, if you humor me, I remember at one point when I was upgrading my system and I remember choosing between the Mac that had a four or a six gigabyte hard drive. Mm. And I remember buying the six gig one and thinking, I will never have to buy another hard drive. <laughs> Famous so, last words. <laughs> exactly. Now there's, you know, you got more memory in my watch, you know. Right. Um, so, but, but, so, but the, um, the audio files balloon. You know, the, the the higher the sample rate. They, I'm not sure if it, if is the comparatively to 44.1 is 96 four times larger. Well, part of the issue that you have to think about too is the bit depth. The bit depth also right. changes that quite a bit. And although the sample rate is probably a bigger deal to it, the the bit depth does make a difference. And that right. being said, yes, from 48 to 96, it is a doubling of the file size if you keep the same same bit depth. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, they get, you know, they can get potentially huge, um, which is, you know, less of a storage issue. But again, taxing on the system, if you're streaming all these from the drive, it, probably easier today with an SSD drives and things. But oh, yeah. um, it is very, very taxing uh, on the system. Um, the important thing or if you take nothing else away from this podcast <laughs> is this episode you don't mean. yeah certainly this episode uh is don't mix your sample rates in a project yeah uh, that, that you know it, what that should have been right at the top of the whole thing before you ever even get started pick the sample rate first <laughs> yeah, and make sure that when you, if you are collaborating with other people on the same project, make sure they use the same sample rate. Yes, um, very important if things. You, yeah, because that, that's something, I mean, you see that on user forums and things. I get my, you know, my files back from somebody and they don't fit the time. They're, they're sped up or they're slowed down. Yeah, that's the calling card of using the wrong sample, sample rate. rate. You know what else is actually, and I just to throw this in in the middle, MP3s absolutely suck for this. 
because and and the only reason why I say this is I do have a friend who who comes to me for recording help from time to time and more often than not it has to do with the fact that she's being sent mp3s to record to and Ugh. mp3s have a double problem one what sample rate were they actually originally doing this because she recently came to me and said hey they're saying that the audio is not lining up and i go and i look at her file and it's fine in terms of like where she's lining up and she's starting from bar one and recording straight through as she's doing it as she tends to do for her type of sessions but then i i look and i see that the file type she's been sent is an mp3 yeah and it's like so <laughs> she's guessing at what sample rate she's supposed to be recording at so <laughs> that doesn't help so it's yeah. wasting her time and it's wasting the person's time that's asking her to perform on said track. So communication, communication is a big thing. But if you're if you're recording with someone else, don't send them MB3s. It, it, yeah. Even if you do, and you tell them the right sample rate, there's timing discrepancies that happen in MP3s that don't happen in Wave and A files. And yeah, you, you just don't chance your shit to that well, that's, so, that's the I mean, biggest yeah, thing i, I mean, would say in that so know the sample rate that you're collaborating with so that you're transferring files appropriately um that's a big one don't use mp3s that's just a, a guideline it's not necessarily a hard fast rule but i would strongly suggest yeah. don't use mp3s yeah because i mean today it's you know i don't want to get on my high horse here but but that's a little bit of a Climb laziness aboard, thing dude. too because <laughs> thanks uh, because with the services that we have today you know like you and I, there's so many ways to transmit files. huge files over yeah. the internet you know so th that's yeah that that's a bad one if you want to send somebody an mp3 as a reference mix that's one thing but right if, if you're going to track to something send them the full audio file you know, you know? and, and I'll, I'll take a step back on this because the way i actually met George, who we've mentioned mm -hmm. on this podcast before, George yeah. Le, George Leger the third, uh, he and I met through a beta testing situation of beta testing a network called the Rocket Network. Oh, and, I remember that. Yes, yeah. and the interesting thing about the Rocket Network is it allowed you to work as long as you were both using the same DAW. You couldn't use two different DAWs. So the Rocket Network had uh, a situation for Pro Tools users. It had a situation for Cubase users and Logic users and, and Digital Performer users. But you couldn't go cross DAW with it. But the way that right. it worked was that you could set, as long as you both had the Rocket Network set up and the appropriate uh, template for your DAW, you could record on your end and it would show up on the other user's end. Now, mm -hmm. you could set the sample rate and, and you do all that kind of thing. And it would automatically populate the tracks on the other end by uploading the tracks that were just recorded and downloading them to the other user and popping them in. Generally, for speed purposes, you worked with MP3s. And this is, yeah. of course, before everybody knew all the timing problems and everything that really kind of happened. But as you were, like, finalizing stuff, you could then tell the server, you know, tonight when I shut you down, so to speak, you're going to upload <laughs> all of the wave quality files to the other person and they're going to download them. And you could do it overnight because things were much slower back then. So you would yeah. do it overnight when you weren't really working on the session. And that was an interesting way to work. 
Would I do it that way now? Not exactly. But if somebody came back with the rocket network at better than MP3 rates now, that would be pretty awesome. I think. Yeah. That's just me. And I mean, so, that, that's, but, but we're getting off the track from sample that, rates, but thinking right, about sample but, rates but, and MP3s yeah. and all that. Right. Um, but there are services that are sort of dipping their toes into that. And one of them we're kind of using right now. As we're yes, but it's this. not it, really it, transferring files automatically the way the Rocket no. Network did, which was much. No. Yeah. It was taking it, it was an additional an step thing. out. Yeah. And I think the, um, the only problem with the Rocket Network was that I think it was just too ahead of its time. It's like people oh, didn't have fast enough internet, yeah, internet connections and stuff. Because I think most people at that point still had like dial-up modems. Yeah, and yeah, stuff. yeah. No, you're talking. And, you're transferring files over like 33.6k baud modems. I mean, it was ridiculous. So that's why yeah. you were transferring MP3 files because at the time, you were even transferring them at I think MP3s at maybe 96k. Now the standard is pretty much 320, but you were using not much 96 K, but like 96, whatever. B, yeah. Um, yeah. M Mbps or something. Whatever. Yeah. It was, it was, it was yeah. a much smaller MP3 size. And so it was workable, but it wasn't ideal. And I, I agree with you. I think it was way ahead of its time. In fact, it's, probably, yeah. it's, it's something a great that idea, could come but... back now and it might actually do all right, especially in the terms yeah. of a pandemic. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, but right. yeah, you're right. It, mixing sample rates within a single thing is not a great idea. Although there is one DAW that is now currently doing away with that in a sense, that you can get away with it. Not that it makes it a good thing to do because it's bad in workflow practice. But yeah. there is a DAW that actually is making it so that that's not as much of an issue. Less of an issue. Yes. Yeah. That DAW would be Luna by uh, yeah. Universal Audio. You can switch right. sample rates for that DAW and it just doesn't even bat an eye. It doesn't care. I don't know why. I don't yeah. know how, but it, yeah, it doesn't care. Now, that doesn't mean that you yeah. go and start recording at 48K and then you bring in a file that's done at 44.1 or 96. I haven't actually tested the theory of mm -hmm. what it's like to actually mix sample rates between tracks uh, within a single session in Luna. Although now that gives me an impetus to try that out just to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think, there, again, as a hard, fast rule, whether it becomes possible and, and an everyday thing down the line, that's sort that, of like... That's when for my, will that's, change, but for now, it's a bad idea. Yeah, and it, it, it's, I would still argue that it's, it's a bad idea. I, I would still, you know, if you're recording at a certain sample rate, stick, stay there. Mm -hmm. um, I say There's the, the, another thing, though, that if you are a mix engineer or actually technically a recording engineer or producer who is attempting to get the quote-unquote high-res mm -hmm. graphic that would go on your exports, your, your, your outputs, your final product that you would then stick on, you know, if you were going to stick it on vinyl or on CD or whatever or have it for something on your packaging because there is a – from the Recording Academy, I think it is a, a high-res definition that you can get. But you have to adhere to very strict guidelines in doing that. And that's where I see 
working with Luna if it allows you to pull all kinds of ridiculous sample rates into it and it just doesn't bat an eye becoming a problem because now you're not adhering to it and you may not even realize you're Be not Be aware of it. it. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, if yeah. for workflow purposes and trying to get your uh, mastered for iTunes or mastered for Apple Music denominations and your high-res file uh, audio certifications, you need to be very aware of what you're working at, what sample rate you're doing, that kind of thing. Because it one cog in the step means you are lying when you put that on the packaging. And if you get caught somehow, not that you would, um, <laughs> it would be not good for you. The sample rate police will, will <clears> The come sample rate police will yeah. come and get you, yeah. yes. Yeah. So stick to that. Now, I, I, the last point I would like to you know, bring up here um, on this topic is that now somebody's going to think, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just record in 44.1 and not tax my system. And then I'm going to output it to 96 before I give it to, to the mastering engineer. Yes. And well, as I thought it, earlier, what exactly is upmizing? Just to go, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the, um, but there's no benefit of doing that. You're not adding any additional information. It's it's still not going to have a better quality of a file. You're not adding information to there. You, right. You might be outputting in 96. So there's no benefit of doing that. You're not hacking anything. You're not coming up with a way to break the system. It's right. not going to sound better than a 44.1 that you recorded it at. So pick but, your sample rate, stick with it. But the terminology that we skipped over, because I was making a joke of the note that you had made calling it upmizing. Up, it's actually, up-mizing, yes. it's called upsampling or upsizing the sample file or the sample rate mm-hmm. of the file that you are exporting when you talk about going from 44.1K to some other higher sample rate as an output. So the let's kind of maybe delve into just a brief little reasoning of why it doesn't work. Because what you're doing is, is you think you're adding something to the file by upsizing it and doing that. But what you're doing is you're taking a lower quality file and adding more information of zero. Absolutely nada is essentially what you're doing. So it doesn't behoove you to do it because it does not actually improve the quality of the sound. Yeah. Right. Very well so, put. Yep. yeah, you don't want to upsample for any purposes of that, mainly because it doesn't improve the quality of the sound. Now, when you are recording at much higher sample rates, say you do record at 88.2 or 96K or anything beyond that, generally speaking, you do have to downsample that for your final product. But right. downsampling is, is technically... Uh, removing some of the audio information in order to get you to the appropriate sample rate that you need to get to. But when you are upsampling, as Chris just mentioned, you are adding literally nothing. It does not make it better. It just makes the file size bigger, which is no benefit to anyone. So we recommend don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just stop. Stop right there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So So with that... We're wrapping a bow on that section, and we're going to say it's time for Friday Finds. Chris, we start with you. So yeah. What are you doing? Um, I saw in – I this thing made my pants fit funny. Uh, <laughs> but SSL came out with a, um, a new dock controller. Uh, oh, boy. Week. 
And oh my god, that thing looks sexy. Um, the UF8, and I would love to get my hands on one of those. I've contemplated um, control surfaces because I, I, I imagine myself really, really liking that workflow. Yes, um, but um, nothing has sort of like fit my my ideal of what I think that would like. But but that one looks really, really cool. I'm so, going to agree with you because you showed it to me immediately yeah. upon finding it. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. No, that, that yeah. I, I, it couldn't have been anything else but that for me for this uh, this Friday. That, yeah. That, Can I add a little like cherry on top of your, your cream soda of you? And it's called the UF8, by the way, just in case somebody missed that for what yeah. you were saying. Right, so, UF8. Yep. The UF8. Uh, it does actually come with two of SSL's native plugins as well when you buy it. Cool. Just so you know. Bo bonus. bonus. Yes. Yeah. So, what do you got for us, Joey? This week... You just gave me, oh man, I just had a brain fart. Oh, I stumped you. Oh, you know what? I'm going to drop a hint. I'm going to drop okay. an upcoming hint for our listeners. And I'm going to go with the Platinum by Fishman. Oh, yeah. The DI box that, uh, that Fishman puts out that allows you to do some pretty nifty things when it comes to DI recording. And since last week we were talking about... DI recording DI practices for your guitars. Uh, I figure that it's a good time to drop a little hint. Hint, hint, hint. Pay attention in the next couple of weeks, people. Uh, the Fishman Platinum is my choice yeah. for this week. That's what cool. I'm going with. And it's a pretty nifty box. It allows you to do all kinds of things. And it's really great for your DI recording purposes. Like yeah. to say that there's more to come. There's more to come. Keep listening in yep. the next couple of weeks, and you might, you might uh, have pants that fit funny, like Chris. <laughs> <laughs> While we've got your attention, I'd like you to go to our website, which is inside the recordingstudio.com, and you can also leave us a review at inside the recordingstudio.com forward slash reviews. And we would really appreciate it if you're one of our Apple podcast listeners, if you do that. That's the only one that we know of right now that actually allows you to leave reviews. And hell, even if you're not an Apple podcast user, go do it anyway, <laughs> just to help us out. <laughs> um, in, terms, uh, in terms of all of that, in addition to that, you can sign up to our email list at inside the recording studio.com forward slash gift. Actually, it doesn't matter if you go to the gift uh, forward slash, but uh, anywhere you sign up for our, our email list, you get a Lovely little gift from Chris and I, which is some presets for Slate digital plugins and some universal audio plugins. And in addition to that, if you send us an email at goldstar at insidetherecordingstudio.com, and that's G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word sample rate somewhere in that email, you might just get something cool back in your inbox. In addition to that, if you have a topic of suggestion that you would like Chris and I to expound upon or expose or talk about anyway, this is the easiest way to say it maybe, uh, just drop <laughs> us a line at the contact page on InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and we will put it into rotation for consideration to make it an episode for you lovely people. All right, Jody. So nice. with that, let's wrap let's a bow on it and say sayonara until next week. 
See ya. See ya.